The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus stood among the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. I imagine that many of us here in this sanctuary right now have seen a film called The Lion King. It's made for children, supposedly, but millions and millions of adults have enjoyed it as well. You've seen it a few times in our household. One of the characters, as you may remember, is an evil lion named Scar, who sets up the murder of his brother, King Mustafa, King Mufasa, in order to take over the throne of the Lion King. Simba, the lion cub, who's only a boy when his father is killed, escapes but eventually returns to reclaim his rightful place as the Lion King. And at that point, the wicked Scar meets the death he so richly deserves. Or a film for an earlier generation, Scarface. The Paul Mooney version, not the cheap Al Pacino knockoff. The Paul Mooney, back in, uh, made in 32. I saw it in a college uh, film class. As you may know, it's loosely based on the life of the real-life gangster Al Capone, who apparently saw the movie and really liked it, even though the character, uh, his character uh, meets also a, a gruesome end. I point this out because these films, I think, uh, buttress a popular concept in our culture as a scar, as a, as a symbol of evil, as a symbol of something bad and wrong. They smear an otherwise wholesome function of a human body 
that is taking care of healing itself. And our wider culture, as I say, tends to also look askance at scars. They're primarily considered to be imperfections that need to be covered over with makeup or clothes or wigs or hats or gloves or what have you. They're to be kept out of sight, out of mind. And I think that's a shame. I think scars get a raw deal. And if I may be so bold, I think Jesus would agree. In the lead up to our gospel passage this morning, Jesus had already appeared to the two men walking on the road away from Jerusalem toward Emmaus. And he appeared to them at the dinner table. And they were so excited about this, they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples who were gathered there what they had seen. And lo and behold, they had seen Jesus too. And so they're standing around comparing notes when all of a sudden Jesus appears again. And he tries to set them at ease, as he often does when he appears, and they're afraid. He says, peace be with you. And then he says, more or less, really, it's me. Touch me. Go ahead. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like I have right here. And then he takes his hands out of his pockets and his feet out of his sandals, and he shows them his scars. Maybe some of you have had the experience of being with someone who has had surgery, a recent surgery of some sort or another. And if it's possible, without revealing too much, they just might pull up the hem of their garment just a little to show you the scar behind which flexes that brand new knee. I've had that experience, that very experience in this church. (laughs) Or someone uh, may know that you've just had your gallbladder out, and curious about the wonders of arthroscopic surgery, they may say, "Um, can I see your scars? It's usually younger people who uh, ask to see your midsection like that. Or sometimes we're in the presence of someone who's been in a really horrific accident and have had some really terrible burns or some obvious reconstructive surgery and in that case the scars say it all. No asking is needed or wanted. There's something about scars that fascinates us. Some of it may be pure voyeurism, you know, the way we slow down in the car when we see the flashing lights ahead of us, we want to see what's going on, even though there's nobody ahead of us to slow down for, we just want to see what's, what's going on there. Or maybe it's uh, the recognition that a scar indicates some kind of a, of a life struggle or a medical struggle that has been survived by this other person, and we're curious about that struggle. We wonder... I wonder if I could have survived that scar, that struggle also. So there may be a bit of uh, kind of comparison going on, testing our own uh, fortitude, our own metal. And of course, there can be the real compassion and concern as well, a desire simply to be with that person in their scar, with their scar, because perhaps we have the same one. Scars are sources of both pride and shame, acne scars or chickenpox scars or scars from a fluky accident are different 
than scars that we get from surgery or combat or a heroic feat on the rugby pitch or the basketball court or the baseball diamond. Sometimes pride, instead of indicating showing, may indicate concealing. It's uh, something that may have done, been done really in a courageous way that's not to be boasted about. I, I think of the scars that many of our war veterans must carry when they come home. And as you might expect, in this age of the Internet, there are actually websites devoted to stories and pictures about scars. I do not recommend that you go to them. In any case, for Jesus, showing his scars was the first way that he could really convince his frightened disciples that he was who he said he was. That he had undergone real suffering just as he had said he would, and that he was really present again, just as he had said he would be. And he says to them, Here, touch my hands and my feet. And in fact, the Greek, the Greek is closer to, Here, handle my hands and my feet. We're not talking about a, a gentle touch with an outstretched finger here. We're talking about holding on to and checking out. And for Jesus, this seems to be no big deal. It's part of what he's supposed to do. He may have had to sit down so his friends could really take a look at him. And while they're puzzling this out with joy and disbelieving, he says simply, Do you have anything to eat here? I'm really hungry. You can imagine sort of in the back of his mind him also saying, I've been through a lot, you know. I'm hungry. And so they recover their manners and they give him a snack. Scars and hunger. What could be better proof of Jesus keeping his promise, his promise to be present with his frazzled, frightened disciples? It's these things, these actual things that prove to his disciples that he is really there, really able to offer them the peace that they need amidst the storms of their upended lives. It is the scars that prove that Jesus is really there. Now, if the disciples can authenticate Jesus' presence in his scars, are we not also asked to see Jesus in the scars of ourselves and the scars of others. If Jesus reveals himself to his disciples and his scars in the Gospels, perhaps Jesus reveals himself to us in the scars of our own lives and in the scars of others. We and others may have scars from C-sections, from open-heart surgeries, from brain operations, spinal procedures, from hip and knee replacements, cancer treatments, combat sports, whatever, you list it. We probably have in this room scars. Can we see Jesus at work in these? Probably not too hard to do that. And we all have psychic scars, spiritual scars, emotional scars, deep ones, deep ones, ones which 
may not be so obvious on the surface, though they might be, but which have symptoms which are obvious. Fears and anxieties and rages and dangerous or controlling behaviors, deceits, prides and hatreds, deep grief and sadness. When we see that person in our lives coming towards us loaded for bear, can we ask ourselves, I wonder what his scar is. And can I see Jesus there? And the symptoms of these scars, of course, find themselves writ large in the dysfunction and poverty and violence in the world around us. Don't have to look too far for that. Our forum speaker this morning, David Steele, is a peacemaker, and he shared with us the process for peacemaking that he uses in his work in the peace workshops that he gives in places like Iraq, peacemaking that he's done in the Balkans and in Sri Lanka and elsewhere. And one of the stages of this process is getting the parties together and helping them to see and share the terrible things that have happened to them. And it happens that what they find is that they recognize the scars of the others in themselves. In seeing the scars and the costs represented by those scars, I think that those folks are seeing Jesus in one another. The scars of the world. Can we see Jesus in these? To be sure, we see Jesus at work in the many deeds of compassion and justice and gratitude that take place all around us every day. And we thank God. Thank God for those. And when we can enter into the scars and woundedness of others, into the scars and woundedness of the world, we are also on the way to seeing Jesus and knowing him to be present with us and being able to do his work in the world. See scars, see Jesus. Amen.